Darkness exists in this world. It is all too real and all too prevalent. It can surround us when we least expect it and make us feel overwhelmed. But in Christ, we have hope. Hi, this is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. We're excited to start this new series called Unshakable Hope. The Bible calls hope the anchor of the soul because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not simply a wish. In reality, it is that thing that latches on to the certainty of the future and the promises that God has made to us. In Him, we have unshakable hope. Enjoy the message. Oldest son, senior year in high school, and actually I think they enjoyed that eight or nine months uh, spent together. So anyway, we're having this young man who, who's going to come live with us, and, and I don't really know how this worked out or why it worked out this way, but the day that Troy was coming into town, I happened to be the only one in my family that could go to the airport to pick him up, all right? And so I'm driving to the airport, going to pick him up, and I'm just driving, and honestly going, man, what in the world are we doing? Okay, why are we letting this kid in our house? And so now my wife has got such a wonderful heart and she, I think she wanted our kids to experience some other cultures, you know? And so my wife has taken my kids to Mexico. My wife went with Tim to Chile on a missions trip, even though she didn't want any part of that, you know, because she thought it was important. She even went to Samoa with Tim so that Tim could go on that trip. You know, and our, and our oldest son, he'd been to Mexico with his school. He was going to go to Guatemala. And, and so she wanted, I think, them to experience a different culture. And what a great way to do it, bring that culture into our house. Seems like a great idea. You know, struggling to communicate, trying to figure each other out. This is all wonderful, right? So I'm standing there at the airport with a sign in my hand that says, Troy, because that's what people do. Although nowadays they all hold iPads, okay, instead of signs. But I have a sign that says Troy, but pretty quickly I decide that I'm way too cool to be holding up this sign. So I fold it up and I stuff it back in my pocket. I'm like, I'll just figure it out, okay? And so it wasn't actually as hard as you might think. But so as people are coming off, I'm in the right place. I know where I'm standing. So people are coming off. And sure enough, I see this squirrely little kid coming down the aisle, and I'm like, that's got to be him. And so I yell, Troy, and he looks back and says, yes. And it only takes me a couple minutes to understand that what we thought we were getting, we weren't getting, okay? Because this young man spoke better English than my children, <laughs> all right? Like, like, there was no accent. He spoke like you and I speak English. And, and, and so I was like, wow, okay, this is going to be interesting. And so we were driving home from the airport, and I remember thinking, what am I going to do with this kid? You know, like I was really hoping that he was exhausted from the travel and he was just going to want to sleep. And he did not look exhausted from the travel. He did not look like he wanted to sleep. And I was like, oh, boy, this could be a long afternoon, Okay. And so the reason I tell you this is this. We were driving home from the airport, and he asked me a question. And he said, and he, I don't remember what he called me. He probably just called me John or Mr. Stalber, whatever he said. He says, hey, what are your rules? I remember driving after he asked me that question, and I was completely unprepared for that question. And I'm sitting there going in my head going, I don't know. And so I think the words that came out of my mouth is that we didn't have any rules. <laughs> Okay, now that's clearly not true. Okay, it's clearly not true that we didn't have any rules, but I wasn't able to articulate what our family rules were. You want to know why? Because at this point, my kids were 15 and 17. Christine and I had spent our lives uh, impressing our rules upon them, so all I needed to do to communicate to my children that they were breaking an unwritten rule of the Stahlberger household was look at them. 
That was all it took. I didn't know how to articulate what our family rules were. And so after telling them, hey, there are no rules, I was like, well, I should really think about this before I say something that stupid, okay? And so shortly after that, we're still driving. I says, well, we're going to expect you to, to go to church with us, you know? And I don't think that was something that he did or was really interested in, but I was like, dude, we don't know you at all. I'm not leaving you in my house. You know, you're coming with us, you know? And so uh, it was like, okay, that was one rule. You know, now Troy ended up living with us for three years, okay? And so over the course of time, there were other rules that we came to, to enforce upon him. Like one rule was no playing the guitar after 10 o'clock at night. So I don't even know who he is, but he was the one playing the guitar right here. Excellent guitar player, okay? But when he came to us, he played the piano. He didn't know how to play the guitar, Okay? And so I remember him sitting in his bedroom and just strumming the same chords over and over and over again. And I remember feeling like I was being incredibly patient with him. Because if either one of my children had been learning how to play an instrument, they would have been in the garage so I didn't have to hear them. Okay? But we came up with the rule, no playing the guitar after 10 o'clock. And for the most part, he, he lived up to that. The other rule I think we had was like no standing in front of the refrigerator with the door open. I think he just enjoyed it. I think he just enjoyed opening up a refrigerator and, and, and looking and seeing what was in there. Matter of fact, I think one of the first times he came back after moving out, I wasn't there. Christina told me he walked into the kitchen and just opened up the refrigerator. I think he missed it, you know. So anyways, no opening and standing there in front of the refrigerator with the door open. Another rule, which is kind of one of those unwritten rules as well, was, was basically no doing anything that annoys me. If you know me, there's a lot of things that annoy me. And so that's a tough rule to follow, but that was one of them. And so anyways, things like that. We all have rules. We all need rules, okay? Whether, whether we like to admit it or not, we all need those rules. And so tonight, we're going to be looking at a section of Scripture that kind of deals with some household rules. But before we get there, I want to remind us where we've been in this series on Colossians. In, in chapter 1, Pastor Rob talked about amazing Jesus, okay? And, and there were quite a few things that we looked at in chapter 1. We talked about how Jesus was the image of the invisible God. We talked about how Jesus was the creative force behind all of creation. Chapter 1 reminds us that Jesus is the head of the church and that all the fullness of God dwelled in him. But maybe most importantly, chapter 1 reminds us that because of our sin, we were all alienated from God. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, that relationship is able to be restored. That's the good news. And then in Colossians chapter 2 and in Colossians chapter 3, Paul is talking about these hollow and deceptive philosophies that they need to watch out for. And Pastor Rob last week was talking about some of them, like, like when he was talking about modern-day stuff like progressive Christianity and the things that went with that. But then later in chapter 3, it kind of goes into just some generic things on Christian living. And so that's where we're picking up today, in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, uh, just raise your hand. We have some ushers that will hand you a Bible. But if you have one or you have your Bible app, open it up to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And so in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18, it says this. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. 
Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. As we read through that section of scripture, it's very easy to outline it. It's very easy to outline it. It says what? It says, wives, submit to your husbands. It says, husbands, love your wives. It says, children, obey your parents. It says, fathers, do not embitter your children. It says, slaves, obey your masters. And then it says to the masters, be fair to your slaves. So it's easy to outline, but it's maybe not necessarily easy to live up to. Okay, and, and it's kind of interesting because this section of scripture in Colossians is very, very similar to something that Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at that section as well because Colossians is like a shortened version of what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. But it's not just in Paul's writings. Even 1 Peter chapter 2 talks about something similar in a similar style as this. But I want us to notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 5 because it's a lengthier version of this section, especially the part about husbands and wives. In Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. Now as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He, loves his wa- he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. So before we dig into these passages, there's, a, there's just a couple things that I want to mention um, from these passages. First of all, like I said, Paul writes this in two places. Peter writes something similar in 1 Peter. And what these are called is like household rules, okay? And that was a very common thing in like Roman and ancient philosophers to write in this style. Sections that, ad- that address husbands and wives, sections that, in- that, a- that relate to children and their parents, and then sections that relate to-, to slaves and their masters. And it doesn't necessarily make sense to us because this isn't a problem for us right now. But a lot of the early Christians were being accused of being subversive to the Roman rule. And so some people think that Paul and Peter wrote in this style to say, no, 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 guys, we understand the way things are, okay? Like, like we have a way of living that Christ has called us to, but we're not trying to subvert the government or do anything like that. So when Paul wrote like this, and when Peter wrote like this, they weren't writing anything new. They weren't writing anything controversial, all right? That's not to say that as we read this 2,000 years later, that we don't today think of some things that are being said in here as controversial, right? 
Okay, aren't there some things that are maybe a little bit difficult for people to hear in this section of Scripture? Like, like when we, we read through this, one of the things that's so important to understand is this. The things that we think are controversial wouldn't have, wouldn't have been a big deal in the first century at all. But there are some things that aren't a big deal today that would have been incredibly controversial in the first century. Like what? Like when Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands... Well, in the first century in Rome, of course, wives were going to submit to their husbands. Wives didn't have any rights. Wives were like property of their husbands. The husband was in complete control of that relationship. Same with their children. Husbands were in complete control of that relationship. He had the power of life and death when it came to his wife and to his children. And so when Paul says, submit to your husband, they wouldn't have read anything into that. It wouldn't have been a big deal. But what would have been a big deal is when Paul said, husbands, love your wives. Because that would not have been something that was expected of a husband in the first century, to love his wife. And yet Paul says that. And Paul doesn't just say, husbands, love your wives. But as we looked at in, in, in Ephesians, he says even more about that. And so sometimes as we read scripture, we need to understand what's really being said. You know, there's something else that might be controversial in here for people. When you read the whole section about slaves and masters, like what is Paul trying to say about slavery? Is Paul okay with slavery? Does he have a problem with that? And what we need to understand is, you know, slavery was very, very common in Rome in the first century. Like great, great percentages of the, of the population was in slavery, but when we think about slavery here in America, we're thinking about something very different than first century slavery, okay? Because what happened here in America was a horrible, horrible stain on our history, okay? That is not what Paul is talking about. You know, Paul is not talking about the same kind of slavery. Matter of fact, I, I was doing some reading. And we don't have a lot of time to spend on this part, but I, I didn't want to just ignore it. Because as preachers, quite often we'll read this section of, of Scripture and we'll say, oh, you know, it's like, you're, it's like how a Christian should be with their employer. You know, and so we look at those things. But you know what? There's a big difference between an, a job and being a slave. All right? And, and so, but as we read it, this, this is what I read this week. It says, the biblical model in both the Old and New Testament is very different. Jewish and Roman slaves were bond servants who were given significant legal, legal status. Very few were slaves for life, and there was little to no forced slavery based on race. Most slaves were prisoners of war who would have elsewise been executed as enemies of the state. And so when we read what Paul is saying about slavery here, Paul is not saying what happened here was okay. I hope that, I hope that makes sense. Um, the second thing that I want us to notice in here is, you know, Paul is not trying to give us a marriage manual. He's clearly not telling us everything that we need to know about marriage. There's clearly a lot more that we need to know. And it, as a matter of fact, as I look through the Bible, there are not vast sections of the Bible that describe what marriage should be like. We have examples. We have examples of good marriages, and we have examples of bad marriages. Like when we think of good marriages, we, we think of Jacob and Rachel, or we think of Ruth, and we think of Boaz, or we think of Joseph and Mary. And when you think of bad marriages, you think of maybe people like Ananias and Sapphira. Or you think of Ahab and Jezebel. But in this section, Paul isn't trying to tell us everything that we needed to know about marriage. He's just laying down some guidelines. The third thing, and this, I don't know, might be the most important of these three to me, <clears throat> is that as, as we look at this passage 
And as we look at what the Bible says about marriage and we look at what the Bible says about family, I just need you to know I'm not interested in trying to tell the world how to do it right. Okay? I'm not interested in telling people that are outside of the church how to do marriage and family correct. My main concern, my primary concern is that we as Christians do marriage and family the way God wants us to. Okay? The world doesn't need any more lessons from us on how to do marriage and family right. What the world needs is to see us as Christians doing it right. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? They don't need any more lectures from us about marriage and family. They need to see that there's something different about us as Christians. Like, wouldn't that be awesome if the people in our neighborhood said, man, there is something different about that couple. Why are they different? And it's because, why are they different? It's because of their faith in Christ. Why is that church different? Why do their relationships look different than the ones we see? Oh, it's because of Christ in their life. When you're at work, when, when your coworkers say, man, there is something different about this guy or, or this lady, they don't ever say anything bad about their spouse. Why is that? Why is everybody else putting their spouses down and why do they have nothing but nice things to say? Hopefully it's because we as Christians are doing something right. Imagine how powerful an example that would be if instead of getting lectures on how to do it, they just were able to come to church and say, man, there is something different about those marriages and about those people. Let's go back to the chapter here for a second. In Colossians chapter 3, that first verse just says, wives, submit to your husbands. And, uh, and I've mentioned it earlier, this would not have been controversial, okay? But I just need you guys to know, like I, I preached in early, uh, early October. And I remember the day, the Monday after my last sermon, I went into my office and I started reading about this passage, okay? I pulled every book I, I had off the shelf that dealt with Colossians chapter three, every single book, and I was reading through them. And you wanna know why? Because actually Colossians chapter three, verse 18 made me a little uncomfortable, okay? It made me just a little bit uncomfortable because, not because I was worried like what it says, because I believe it's God's word, but it made me uncomfortable because what I believe people have done with it, if that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. But I was more concerned about what people have done with that verse. Because what Colossians chapter 3 is, is not saying is it's not saying that the husband is the general of the family and, and husbands should just be walking around saying it's because I said so. And it's going to be my way or the highway. That isn't what this passage is saying at all. And it made me uncomfortable but then as I was thinking about it, I was like, you know what? This kind of makes sense when you look at scripture of what's going on. When Paul is saying, wives, submit to your husbands. Because I was like, why is this? Think back to, think back to the fall of Adam and Eve. Think back what, to the, what the consequences were. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, it says to the woman, this is God telling Eve what her consequence is going to be. It says to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. I, I don't know what life was like for Adam and Eve before the fall, but I know that after that, that's what God said it was going to be like. And, and so what I do believe is, you know what? God has made us as husbands to be the leaders in our homes. That's what he expects out of us. 
Okay? Now, just so you know, Adam got his own consequences for sin as well. In chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, it says to Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You'll eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you'll return. And so in Colossians and in Ephesians, Paul doesn't use the word for obedience. He uses the word for submit. And I simply think that means that God has called us as husbands to be the leaders in our home. Um, I was recently at a wedding. And when the pastor came and, and he was reading scripture, the pastor read from this verse. And, I, and, and there were three ladies sitting in front of me. And as the pastor read this passage, their head went down and they started shaking like they couldn't believe that this guy was reading this passage. And I have to believe it's because, you know what, they've heard this passage and they've seen or heard people misusing it. Because I don't think it meant what they were taking it as. Okay? Men, we are called to be the leaders in our homes. But as you look at those passages in Colossians and as you look at those passages in Ephesians, I want you to think about the job of the husband in those passages. Because Colossians tells us that we are to love our wives. And then in Ephesians it says we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how much did Christ love us? Christ loved us so much that he first came here to this earth. He left heaven to come here. He loved us so much that he was willing to be beaten and he died on a cross for us. That is our example, husbands. Okay, so if you like the fact that it says wives submit to your husbands, you better like the fact that it says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Okay, because that is what God expects out of us. He expects us to love our wives as Christ loved the church. But there's one more verse that I really want us to look at. <clears throat> and, and if you have your Bible, go back to Ephesians chapter 5. And this is so important because we could talk about this all we want, but this is what you need to understand. In the Greek language, there is no punctuation. And in the Greek language, there is no paragraphs. All right? No punctuation and no paragraphs. So if you go back to Ephesians chapter 5 and you look at what verse 21 says. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, someone in their infinite wisdom in the English language decided that that should be its own paragraph, and that shouldn't be with a section on husbands and wives. And I'm telling you right now, that's not true. That passage belongs right next to, and it doesn't need a paragraph, doesn't need a heading in between it. That passage is the passage that starts off this section about these household rules. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are called to submit to one another. And I, I look at this and I go, you know what? There are things that each of us is good at. There are things that each of us is, I guess, smarter. That might not be the right word. But we know more things about. And so as husbands and wives, we should be submitting to each other. We should be deferring to each other. Now, I could be getting myself in trouble because my wife is in this service. Okay, it was much easier in the morning when she wasn't here. Okay, but I like to think that as, as my wife, that there have been situations where I have submitted to her knowledge. Like I would say this, my wife is in her like 26th year as a teacher, okay? She's taught first grade, she's taught second grade, she's worked in the office, and she's been in third grade for like, I don't know, like forever now, okay? So you know what that means? When my kids were little and it came to their education, who knows more about education, my wife or me? 
That's right, my wife does. Okay, so it would make sense for me to defer to her when it comes to, to things about education, even if I didn't necessarily agree. Now, she might tell you I wasn't very good at that, and I probably wasn't, okay? But I'd be a fool not to listen to her, wouldn't I? Why? Because she knows about that stuff. Okay, now, when it came time for my kids to be teenagers, who do you think understands the mind of a teenager, teenage boy better, her or me? Okay, I know the mind of a teenage boy better than her. I worked with teenagers for 17 years, and I have two teenage sons, but more importantly, I was a teenager. I haven't matured much beyond being a teenager. <laughs> My mind still works like a teenage boy. Matter of fact, just to prove it, on Mission Sunday, when we were talking about how we are going to sponsor verses in Colossians, okay, I had this great idea. I knew exactly what verse John Stahlberger was going to sponsor. This is it. Okay, I don't know if you can see that. Can you read that? I'm sponsoring Colossians 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands. Okay, I thought it would be funny. Okay, if I could get out there and get my name on it. Now, if I'd really been funny, what I would have done is I would have got out there and put my wife's name on it. Okay, and let her be the one that sponsors it. But the truth is, as husbands and wives, we all have different things that we know. And we should be deferring to each other. We should be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So in the time I have left, um, what I want to do is just share, share a few words of, uh, of advice for us. Because the reality is, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so our relationships as husbands and wives really should be a partnership. But what I want to do is give you guys some practical advice on marriage and some practical advice on parenting, okay? And this is so important because, you know, it says in there, children obey your parents. That's really easy to understand, isn't it? Children, obey your parents, okay? But then when it says, fathers, do not embitter your children, like, like one of the reasons why that's so important is because it's so painful to see people who are as grown adults who have pain and wounds still from something that's happened in their childhood. Like, I don't understand it. My parents never said anything mean to me. My parents were never nasty with me. But there are people who grow up with parents who don't believe in them. Parents who are telling them they're not going to make it. Parents who tell them they're not going to succeed. And that leaves wounds. And so as parents, we need to do better. So I, I want to give you guys seven practical things or practical uh, advice on marriage and then five on parenting. And, and if this isn't where you're at in life, if you're not married and you don't have any children, well, maybe someday. If you're past that point, you've got grandchildren, well, you know what, maybe you could pass these words of advice down to them when they ask. Don't force it on them. All right? So some practical biblical advice on marriage. Number one, do not use past mistakes like a hammer. Leave the past in the past. This is so important. Luke chapter 6 tells us that we are to forgive and you'll be forgiven. And one of the biggest mistakes we can make as, as, as spouses is when we bring up mistakes that our spouses have made in the past, especially mistakes that they've made in the past and we've dealt with, okay? That's like a hammer to the stomach when we do that. And we shouldn't do that. We need to learn to forgive. The second thing is do not let disagreements linger. Deal with them immediately, 
Do not let disagreements linger. Deal with them immediately. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. It's up on the screen there. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. This verse is really easy for me. Because I don't like it. I, I don't really like it when people are upset with me. So if I knew one of you was upset with me, I would call you immediately and try to work it out. I would want to call you immediately, at least find out what's going on. That's the way my mind works. So this verse is very easy for me. Now, what I'm good, I need to encourage you guys with is not everybody's like that. Sometimes your spouse might need a little bit of time to process it, to really think through it, to kind of evaluate what's going on. And so what I really think this is saying to us is saying, hey, you know what? Don't let things grow. Don't let those little wedges become big wedges and keep getting bigger. You need to deal with things. Don't be letting things go on, all right? Don't let them linger. The third thing is say something nice to each other every day. Say something nice to each other every day. I wrote this one down knowing full well that I am not good at this. Okay, full disclosure, I am not good at this. I need to do better at this. But Proverbs 15 verse 4 says, The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Our words should bring healing into the lives of our spouses. So say something nice. Number four, for richer or poorer, rejoice in every moment that God has given you together. For richer or for poorer. Proverbs 15 verse 17 says, better a meal with vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. For richer or for poorer. You know, our lives, we go through ups, we go through downs, we go through struggles, we go through good times, we go through hard times. But there are always going to be things that we can rejoice in together even in the midst of those difficult times. And so we ought to do that. Better a meal of vegetables where there's love. Number five. Okay, I don't have a Bible verse for this one, but it's true anyway. So if you have a choice between making, uh, making yourself or your spouse look good, choose your spouse and do not use them as the punchline of your jokes. Okay? I may have needed to learn this one the hard way. Okay, and that's why I believe in it. But we should not be using our spouses as a punchline of our jokes. Hopefully that's why in my sermons I'll only make fun of Pastor Kirby and Pastor Rob and never my wife. Okay, occasionally Bill Regan. <laughs> number six, and this is kind of a repeat of number one, but it's so important. Because if they're breathing, your spouse will offend you. So learn to forgive. If they're breathing, your spouse will offend you. So learn to forgive. I, I just can't emphasize enough how important that is. And the last one is number seven is let love be your guide. Let love be your guide. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs, which talks to forgiveness. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, okay? Now for some practical advice on parenting, okay? And I know some of you aren't even close to parenting yet, but you might want to write these things down anyways. Number one is to train them early. Train them early, because I think everything hinges on training our children early. Um, <clears throat> I really think the spirit of our children are the most flexible when they're young, and so that character building that we do in their early years is so much easier than trying to get back at it later on. Like teaching them something when they're five is so much easier than when they're 15. So teach it to them when they're five. 
And, and I'm not saying that this is true for everyone, but, but I really believe the, the better job we do of teaching them when we're, they're young and spending time with them when they're young, the easier time it'll be for us when they get older and, and they're, they're much later in life. And, and, it, and listen, this is the truth. I've seen lots of good parents have very difficult children. I've seen lots of very bad parents end up with great children. But for most of us, good parents and good children go together. And difficult children and difficult parents go together. I'm not, it's not true all the time, but generally that's the case. And so spend time with your kids when they're young. Teach them the things that they need to know when they're young, because it's so much easier. And if you... If, if, if they want to spend time with you when they're little and you don't do it, guess what? They're going to fill their time with other things and with other people. Train them early. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Amen. Secondly, that we should confront and discipline. Um, parenting isn't always fun. Parenting isn't always easy. But you know, we shouldn't be ignoring bad behavior. Um, ultimately, when we do that, that is more harmful to our children. And like I said, it's not fun, but it's so necessary. And, and one of the worst things you'll see is you'll see some families where one parent handles the discipline and one parent wants to be the fun parent, okay? That doesn't work. You need to be doing it as a tag team. You need to be working together and coming together as you discipline your children. Proverbs 13, verse 24, just says, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. If we love our children, we're gonna discipline them. Third, train your children by teaching them God's word. This is so important. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, he's talking about, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with your strength, all this stuff. And then he says this. He says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Like he's saying, man, listen to these things, the, the God's word, we need to impress it upon them everywhere and at all times. Why is that? You know what? I don't want my kids to think like me. I want my kids to think like God thinks. Okay? I like to think that I do a good job of thinking right, but I don't always. I don't want my kids to think like me. You shouldn't want your kids to think like you. You should want them to think as God thinks about things. And how do we know that? By impressing God's word upon them. Fourthly is show them how it's done. Show them how it's done because parents who don't practice what they preach are sending very confusing messages to their children. So what we say and what we do need to go hand in hand. And we need to make sure that we're not setting a bad example. In, in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7, it says, A righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. Set a good example for your children. Allow your words and your deeds to go together. So I finished my sermon early in this week, and I was reading over, reading over, reading over, and there was one more piece of advice that I thought of. And so I wrote it in on my, on my paper, because I typed my sermons, I wrote it in, and then we went to a conference on Thursday, and the speaker that we were listening to said the exact same words. And I took that as a sign from God, okay, that, that, that this was important. Because the fifth thing that I want you to write down is this, let your kids learn from their failures, let your kids learn from their failures. So often as parents, we want to fix everything. We want to make everything better. We want to go in and talk to the teacher because they got an A minus and they should have got an A. 
You know, we, we think they should have got an E on their citizenship. And so we have to learn to let our kids deal with failure. And we need to let them do it when they're young so that when they get older, they know how to deal with it. Okay, I, I think so many of our young people are struggling as they're getting into their college age years because their parents have spent their whole lives cleaning up after them. And for the first time, there isn't anybody there to clean up after them anymore. And they're like, how do I do this? I don't know how to do this. They should have learned it when they were 8, 9, and 10, but they're having to learn it when they're 18, 19, and 20, and they're not doing a very good job. So let your kids learn from their failure. So wrapping it up, this is what I want you to do. If you go to a life group, I want you to be prepared to answer these questions. If you don't, you should go to a life group, okay? But I want you, in your bulletin, there's two questions in there. And I want you to really think about them this week. The first one is this, what did I need to hear? Like out of all this advice, what one of those pieces of advice did you need to hear? Because I'm sure none of you needed to hear all of them. But surely there's one of those pieces of advice that you needed to hear. And then secondly, listen, I could have talked for hours on both of these things. So the question is, what would you add? What piece of advice would you add? If you could give advice to someone on marriage, you could give somebody advice on parenting, what would you add to that? All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that um, as we look at your word, that we're able to see what your plan is, that we're able to see what your plan is for for husbands and wives. And I, I pray Lord, that of all the verses that we looked at, that we would hold on to Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Lord, I thank you for your plan for us with our children and as we deal with our parents. And and I just pray that that you would help us to do the very best that we can, Lord. I pray that, um, that we would admit when we're wrong, that we would apologize when we've done wrong. And that we would do the very best that we can, Lord. And we just pray that we would give our children over to you, Lord, trusting that you're in control. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. You forget all my rebellions that you've always